Welcome to ISM Fellows in Conversation, a podcast from the Yale Institute of Sacred Music. The episodes in this series present a discussion between a current ISM student and a visiting researcher in the ISM Fellows program. Each year, the Institute hosts a cohort of fellows who are in residence for one year to pursue interdisciplinary projects and teach at Yale. The following conversation focuses on the diverse research, teaching, and creative work of a current ISM fellow. Hello, this is Claire Byrne. I'm a Master's of Religion student in Religion and Music at the Institute of Sacred Music, and I am delighted to be sitting down in virtual space, of course, with Dr. Christopher Rasheem McMillan, an ISM fellow, a choreographer and scholar, assistant professor of gender, women's, and sexuality studies at the University of Iowa, and also a dance theory and practice assistant professor at the University of Iowa. Delighted to be with you today. Chris, how are you doing? I'm good, Claire. Thank you for the, such a warm introduction. Uh, and it's good to meet you and see you in this way and be in fellowship in this way. Oh, thank you. Great to be with you, too. So I am come from a dance background myself, so I have been very curious just to learn a little bit more, maybe from the beginning. How did dance uh, start in your life? Uh, was it early on in life? Was it a little bit later? I'll just open up the dance question first, just to hear a little bit about your, your background, how you were inspired to come to dance. I think in some ways my family, we've been dancing a long time, so like of. Uh, what I'd call like folk dance or um, social dance, uh, the electric slide at weddings, um, dancing in the kitchen. That I consider that to be like formative, a formative sort of dance experience. And then I didn't actually start um, doing classical Western training or theatrical training dance until I got to college um, at Hampshire College. And that was in my second year there. So I was already 20 when I started uh taking formal classical Western dance. And originally I thought I was going to be a social worker. And I saw um, Trisha Brown's set reset 1985. At, and I was like, <gasps> this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I'm not a social worker. I'm a dancer. And so I changed into taking dance much more seriously. So that was the really the beginning. Wow. Fantastic. What was it about Trisha Brown's set reset that, um, really spoke to you or maybe brought together some other strands of interest in your life already? Yeah, there was a, a tall, linky black guy who was like, like it, he had muscles. So he he was doing this really graceful, but you, you could it was muscular and graceful and released. And he was like, he had like what I call Patricia Bob Brown, sort of like soft Bob, where their head is responding to their to the torso. And he was doing it and it was so clever. And I was like, he looks like me, like at least his image looks like me. And I was like, that's me. I want to do that. So it was the right. It felt like a beautiful intersection of grace and strength. And, and there was some eroticism there, obviously, but there was some, it was, it was housed in a sort of container of grace and strength. And I thought, what a beautiful middle ground. Wow, fantastic. Thank you. So um, it seems like it's so important to, in a way, be able to imagine yourself or see yourself in people you see on stage. You know, that, that kind of identification just makes me think about different kinds of identity that we inhabit or that we try on for a time and then move through. Can you speak to um, ways that your identity or identities have informed the work that you do? 
Yeah. It's also my usually the start of my research questions in that phenomenologically, I can only come from my own lived experience. So as I'm experiencing places where my voice is often the only voice of difference or the, vo- or the voice of multiple differences in the room. So I consider myself often to be non- non-binary in some sorts of ways and to be queer and definitely in sorts of ways. And, not, and, and I'm African-American, I'm Black from my heritage. And so often in terms of even in modern dance, that's a very white space. Academia generally is a very white space. Um, and certain parts of those spaces are straight and certain parts of those spaces are have particular class orientations. And so often... I find I'm constantly having to bring or the, the, the goal is to bring my whole self with me at every at every interval, at every stop. And so in in modern and in, in my sort of research, it, it looks like thinking about queerness and blackness as it makes its way into academia and as it sort of like situates itself in a dance in and in an academic dance context, which has a heavy heaviness, whiteness and is also quite female populated. And in, and then sometimes in thinking about religion and Christianity and queerness, queerness is also trying to have its hold in a, a revisionist hold in liturgy in the way we read texts. Um, and that's across religions, I think. And so it's trying to have a reconsidering what sexuality the body has to offer to experiences of the divine or the sacred. And so I, I find that I'm constantly trying to bring my whole self there. And that often means really hard taking two interests and pulling them together. Um, my dad served as a clergyman. And so we had a, a, a sort of difficult relationship when I came out and when I started to understand myself as queer. And that moment is also in dance, where I'm often trying to convince people who are in postmodern dance, A, about the historical significance of the sacred in modern dance, thinking about Ted Sean, Martha Graham, Alvin Ailey, and that somehow choreographing the sacred has was at the beginning of modern dance. And so I'm reminding people, I often feel like I have to remind people that modern dance is, is, came up in a kind of religiosity. Or, or an abstraction of religiosity. And then also I'm trying to convince, it feels that I'm often trying to convince other either theological groups or other sort of um, religious studies groups that dance is phenomenologically embodied and that religion in and of itself is embodied. And that we're talking about crossroads, not sort of the fringe, but the very center of humanist concerns. And so it feels as if I'm always trying to, without being too much, it feels as if I'm always a prophet crying in some wilderness to somebody about something or another. That's beautiful. Um, so it seems to me that you're saying there's, like you're occupying these multifaceted roles of persuasion. And I love that you use the word prophet too. You're acting as a prophet in multiple ways um, and and kind of, working your way into the center of multiple communities. So which one to go into first? I, I would just love to l- know a little bit more about your religious background and you know, hearing about your father, being a minister, and how much time did you spend in the church? Did you do any sacred dance in that context or other kinds of sacred arts? No, 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 no. Yeah, um, I, I think dance is ephemeral, so it's often linked to the feminine, and so that would not have happened at, at my, in my growing up. Um, so we are crossed between AME and sort of non-denominational black church that stems from a sort of Baptist liturgy. So the same sorts of songs, same sorts of praises, same sorts of ways and orders of worship. Um, much more like on the grounds mission, like feed the poor, bring the community up, kind of, but very conservative in its theology and its presentation. And more so, 
I'm coming up at the end of the AIDS crisis. So like, it's not the early 80s, it's not the early 90s. I'm coming up in the 2000s. And so it's a different, it's a little different, but this, but the, the fear of the AIDS crisis is, was real in my community. And the fear of when having to deal with the fear, uh, the, the embodiment of being black, that often felt like enough for my family. Like it was, it was enough. And at any other difference, it's sort of like a pink Giselle running in um, the Serengeti. You don't want a pink Giselle in, a, in the Serengeti because it puts the whole pack at danger or the whole herd at danger. And so I think my parents definitely had a pink Giselle. And I think that that, that was really hard for them um, in lots of ways. And there's also something else I want to speak to is like the sort of intersection of black culture and religiosity. Something I'm often quite proud of is that like I can get away with even at my public school of talking about God openly because it's so tied to like particular parts of the black experience that to try that it's a much about culture as it is about the religion and that it's embedded somehow sort of how I would imagine uh, my Jewish brothers and sisters think about Judaism being as sort of foundational as both cultural and religious and that I can often in class I'm talking about God openly um, where I think my white colleagues cannot do that. And probably also because I might be a prophet, but I'm also kind of a false prophet. Like I'm not 100% sure of what I'm saying to people and trying to convince them of. So it's not from a place of surety or from a place of like um, belief. It's from a place of deep, deep suspicion and play that I'm, I think the convincing comes from and the desire to imagine what's possible. And I, I feel like queerness is my gaze towards the sacred text. And then the sacred text is gaze back to me or or my eisegesis back to me is queer. So when I'm when I'm sort of looking at, of course, when David and Jonathan or Ruth and Naomi, but also when I'm looking at Christ too, being um, both fully God and fully man, that's the queerest shit I ever heard. And so I'm often thinking the whole thing is queer. Brothers and sisters who are not your brothers and sisters and family who are not your family, it all seems kind of queer and outside of sort of biological imperatives. And so... I think my father thinks differently about that than I do, but even my imagination seems to fully resound with my background in, in the black church, the black, multiple black churches, the black church that I'm, I'm coming from. And it's tinged too with having generally been educated in predominantly white institutions, right? Like there, that also has changed both my speaking patterns and the words I use and how I come to make meaning out of things. That's also part of it. But the unresounding deep love for God as I understand her. Um, at the ISM. I'd love to hear about the research work. And I know it's both a research project, a book, and um, a performance aspect to it. Um, and then I know you're also teaching a class. And I've heard from some students that it's amazing. So I'm writing specifically at the moment about um, the intersections of um, religion and performance as, uh, as a hold stop. And so moments of seeing what I call religious, the, the bodily expression of religiosity um, as being hermeneutical. So it's bodies interpreting either cultural texts or religious texts in the body. So um, groups like the Westboro Baptist Church, for instance, the Ku Klux Klan um, groups um, and performative groups or performative people like um, our former president, Donald Trump, as he tear gases peaceful protesters in order to go hold the Bible at an Episcopal church. And like using all, thinking of all of these ways of using religious iconography and performance um, to either explain people's religious positions or and that, they, that, that it's body centered. And then the same project turns towards dance and says, 
hey, dance, there are all these moments of religiosity embedded in your history, um, sort of coming out of Jacob's Pillow, so Ted Sean, um, dance spirituals, Alvin Ailey, Ronald K. Brown, evidence that there's a history of religiosity and performance also here, and that these are linked but that we can imagine that embodiment and religiosity and performance are intrinsically tied together. Um, we can think of preaching. We can think of the liturgy, high liturgy and unplanned liturgy as all of this being in the house of performance and dance while not imagining performance necessarily equals fake, but that it's the bodily expression. And I guess unlike my colleagues who particularly study liturgy, I'm interested in how we can understand what's happening in the body expressed through the body, religious ideas expressed through the body, more broadly applied to society, rather than particularly to serve the church, although I think it could go both ways. So that's one of the projects. Also, since I've been at Yale, I've made a dance for Yale Dance Lab. Um, Emily Coates is the director of that sort of project, and she's amazing. And so I've been, I've, I've already made a dance, small dance, over Zoom, which was challenging. And, but it was done. It's got done. And um I'm working at the moment also on a, a duet, a duet trio on Master the Tempest is Raging, which felt like what I said to myself the last whole year. Master the Tempest is Raging. Peace be still. Peace be still. Master the Tempest is Raging. Get up, Jesus. Don't fall asleep. Uh, don't get no coffee. Don't take your coffee break right now. The world is falling apart. Help, help, help. So I made a dance out of that sort of embodied experience. And that is a research project closely related to the embodied experience coming out of our bodies, uh, whether that's found in, in church or outside of church or in worship or outside of worship. Um, well, so just something you mentioned, this moment we're living in, um, we are doing this interview in the week that marks the a year of pandemic, just wanted to ask, well, first of all, where you were a year ago and what was happening in your life and what was interrupted um, or what was able to continue or what you pushed through to make happen or what is really on hold, just in any of that. I want to make it really plain. I've Myself has been more or less fine, but the virus... And not only the virus, but the particular infestation of white nationalism and the insurrections and the storming of our capital and the danger of being a black queer body in America in very uncertain times has really taken its toll on my research and in my personal life. And I have to name it out loud in this way because I do not want it to go unchecked and unannounced. And, and one more piece I have to, to add to that, all of that, is that the lack of corporal bodily expression that is only done through dance. So often in the way that I think about liturgy, I also think about the corporal expression of bodies moving in space at the same time. Both the corporal body and then individual bodies coming together to offer a singular or a constellation of single experiences that look like the same experience, embodied experience in movement has not happened in a year. When I used to teach classes in person, 30 people classes, I no longer teach. I teach through a flat mediated form, which is not the tradition. It's not useful. It's I can't see them. They can't see me. And yet it's one way to stay connected and present in all aspects, right? So in the aspects of my church life, I'm, I'm an adjunct minister of sorts at um, Sanctuary Community Church in Iowa, where it's my beloved church, and I still attend services there. And that's the same mechanism by which I have classes and the same mechanism by which I have meetings and the same mechanism by which I teach. And it's a lot of time looking at screens in a particular time where the body is unsafe, both from threat of um, sickness and from threat of harm 
and also just unvalued in in our society. And so I found it to be a very difficult year. And I'm going to go on a limb and say it has been biblical as if I'm in Egypt and I'm reliving the plagues. And I almost want to kill a lamb and put it the blood on my door and says, please, please don't come near here. You 10,000 fall at your left side, a thousand at your right side, but shall not come near thee. I don't know. Psalms 91. So I'm just saying that it seems as if it seems as if something apocalyptic has happened and as if John the Revelator left this part out. And so I'm like, hmm. So that's the short answer. <laughs> I'm sorry, Claire. <laughs> no, we are living the Bible right now. Right. I completely yes. agree with you. We are living in biblical times. We are living in times of would-be kings trying mm-hmm. to, you know, usurp power. We're, we're living in just an unbelievable, apocalyptic, oppressive time. Um, and-, and Claire, one more thing. I also thought, God, we, we need you so much right now. You know what? Don't send Jesus. Come yourself, because this ain't no place for kids. Don't, don't send the Lord this time. You need to come yourself, because this is, this is a hot mess. <laughs> What's he going to look like? What's she going to look like when she comes? I want to hear this answer. <laughs> I don't, you know something? I, I, don't, I don't know what she'd look like, but I bet she'd be cool, cool as hell, because I sometimes look outside my windows and I see, I see the most pretty color of purple. And I think, no way a dude made that color. No way. I cannot imagine a dude made this color. Look at this pretty color of purple. No dude made this color. So I don't know what she'd look like. I'd imagine she'd look like all things if, if she can make such a beautiful color, such as purple. This purple-violet flower I see outside, you know. <laughs> well, I hope when she comes to help us with what is happening right now herself... It involves purple flowers. <laughs> I hope so. And, and, and Clara, also, I hope she don't respond as if as, as she has in the past in the sacred texts of all, all the sacred texts by saying, oh, I did come. I sent you. That's the fear. That's the fear. I hope she isn't saying is that somehow, um, which I which I somehow feel is the inkling in my heart is like, oh, I did. I did come. I, I sent I sent I sent humanity. I sent you you. Also, what you said bef- um, earlier about not having the opportunity to be in a room with people and dance for this whole year, um, in addition to the incredible other unsafeties and insecurities that some people are experiencing more in the world than others. It's just been really something I, I so miss being in a studio space, just having that space around me, having um, negative space in which to move. I, I, you know, a flat screen is just not doing it. Just not doing it. And, and the tradition and quiet is kept like um, I'm invested in the Cunningham technique, which is codified. And it feels it's as codified as the liturgy is, depending on which tradition you're in, whether it's um, Catholic liturgy or Anglican liturgy. But it's, it's or, or an unspoken liturgy or the liturgy of silence for our Quaker brothers and sisters. Um, whatever it is, it's as, it's as codified and has its own form. And so for me, I go into the studio and I start the codification. I start the, the Cunningham exercise for the back and knowing in my heart that this is the way classes started since the 60s and 70s. I'd almost link it or say it's the akin, it's the akin to how one might experience the Eucharist. We have been in some ways participating in the same practice for a very long time. We've been playing at the beginning of class 
for a very long time. And when we are done, there will be people pleading in the beginning of class for a very long time. Um, there's a sense in which the communal expression of our bodies has been muted in all ways. That's really beautiful. The Well, it's just, I have never thought of communion and plies together, and I want to think about that more. <laughs> um, I'm taking a class in early Christian liturgy right now with another one of the fellows, uh, Dr. Rocco Tungan. Yes! And, uh, and it's a wonderful class, and we're reading all about... Um, you know, what do we think the earliest form of the Eucharist was? Um, and you know what? I think it was a little closer to pleading than to anything <laughs> that um, has come out since, or even anything that people tried to get back to, tried to get it back to the beginning. I mean, it was loose. It was, it was not that plies are necessarily loose, but it was body expression. It was people gathering in space to share a meal, to nourish themselves with the sacred, to literally physically feed themselves. You know, mm -hmm. that that was what it was about. And yeah, that is like a plie. Mm -hmm. um, plie is bending the knees. Uh, it's bending I, the knees. It's bending the knees. Let's it's... bend our knees. Let's be alive here. <laughs> Let's be alive together. Both, both let's bend our knees in prayer and then let's bend our knees for the strengthening of our physical bodies, you know, as a, as a prayer, as a prayer, right? Like as an expression. And, you know, between both of us, I feel like you could you could take that someplace, Claire, and go some go someplace. Um, both uh, that sense of sacred rest uh, that my colleague has been expressing in her work um, is, is exceptional. And is it that far? I mean, it's, see, it's very far in terms of our, our, our what we, the, the canon we got, the canon, the, the materials we're working with. But I bet if we sat down between, you, between her, you, and I, and we, we thought through it, you would find a beautiful intersection there that only could be expressed by your, your particular interest in it, of course. But yeah, I think there's something there. Wow. Thank you. <laughs> I think, Thank you. I think you maybe said it. I don't think I said it. I think you said it. <laughs> If you could just talk a little bit about the sacred within modern and contemporary dance. Um, so I, I think I'd, I'd start sort of with a sense of, a, a sense of body theology, and it's coming from Nelson. And I know that's a weird way to start, but that our bodies themselves, that the actual body is in the image of God, if one could get down with that, right? Like if that, coming from a particular tradition, recognizing the body is in the image of God, and is the most one of the most beautiful expressions of sacredness in and of itself without attaching anything on it. our bodies are sacred and that there's a period or a full stop as my british colleagues would say body is sacred full stop period and then from that i would say as a as a medium for expressing and as a as a conversational medium it's the only medium in which we have the talk to the divine and experience divine too and then I'd say, in particular, modern dance has its um, foremothers. So it, it actually mostly comes from women. And it is unlike other kind of dance forms like ballet, it's not imported. It was made on this soil in this way with all sorts of sort of interlocutors coming together at the same time. And so Martha Graham, Isadora Duncan, Doris Humphrey, these are the beginning so that's the Graham technique. Um, that's the Duncan technique. That's sort of lo the Lamont Humphrey tradition coming from the Lamont dance technique. These are the core sort of modern dance techniques that emerged in America. 
And so in, in the United States, so to speak, from these traditions, generally at the very beginning of modern dance, people like Ted Sean and like Martha Graham, Alvin Ailey also is in this sort of branch of early modern dance. We're making dances like uh, the famous Alvin Ailey's Revelation, which is the work looking at the black church. But that wasn't the only one at the time. You have Taylor Beatty's The Mourner's Bitch. You have all sorts of modern and Tashan doing all, his version of the, the Negro spirituals you, at the very beginning of modern dance. And so religious expression is tied to um, and, and early modern dance is tied to religious expression. And at the, the very birth of it, it's there where it sort of drops out is during a postmodern or modernist period where you have Cunningham, Merce Cunningham, who is not making dances about religion, or you have Trisha Brown, who are using pedestrian moments, or you have all sorts of iconic dance works that are abstract and are not used to tell a story or not narrated, so to speak. And at that moment, during that sort of postmodern era, what we might call the Judson era, there, there's an assumption of getting away from narrative and away from storytelling and away from expression. And so modern dance has not quite made its way back to thinking about the narrative and expression and storytelling um, because it has been for a lot of time held up in at least Western theatrical dance held up in sort of a postmodern abstractionist. It's not, com- it's not completely the whole story, but it's mostly the whole story. And Christianity is, has often functioned as a tool of colonization, as control, as ways of manipulating and ways of holding power. And so dance is resistant to I- Christian ideas, I feel like, in, the stu- in studio practice. Whereas it's not resistant to, it, I don't feel that it's as resistant to Eastern derived religions or re- religions that are outside of Judeo-Christian Islamic sort of principles. It doesn't seem as resistant to those. Um, and I think because of its import through yoga and through other sort of pra- meditational practices, I think it's more apt to take up those sorts of traditions rather than Christianity or sort of Islamic or monotheistic traditions, so to speak. But I'm using very broad um, strokes, but to say that it was at the beginning of modern dance, but has filtered its way out. And, and part of what I want to bring forward is to say, if it's at the beginning, it's in the material. Because the way in which we train is we train from body to body, from body to body, from body to body. We are the archive. We are the living archive of the traditions. Claire, you too. If, I've, if we sat down, Claire, together, and I said, who was your teacher? Who was your teacher? Who was your teacher? Who was your teacher? We'd get back to Martha Graham eventually. Right. And if you step me, you said, who's your teacher? Who's your teacher? We'd get back to Martha Graham eventually because we train from body to body. And often it's from woman's body to woman's body, from woman's body to woman's body. And given that the AIDS crisis wiped out a whole generation of queer men, we really do mean from woman's body to woman's body, from woman's body to woman's body. And so um, in the way we, I would think about the Eucharist, I think about dance training and practice. And so I feel I feel like it's my job to say, hey, it was all it's in your body already. It's inhabiting you. Parts of the sacred parts of sacred expression is inhabiting you already. Now, it may feel like colonization, but it is in the body because it's in the training and it's maintained in practice and training. Wow. That was one of the most interesting from a different, beautiful, unique, revelatory angle history of modern dance that I've ever heard. Thank you. That was really wonderful. <laughs> oh, from women's body to women's bodies to women's body. And and the sorrow in that, too. The reasons for that are both beautiful and also very catastrophic and sorrowful. And can I try just to interrupt? You know, like D-Man in the Waters. Uh, 
um, Bill T. Jones's work about D-Man, his dancer who, who passed away because of the AIDS crisis, or even um, Arnie Zane, his partner, passing away through the AIDS crisis. Huge swaths of queer men dropping out of modern dance, right? Um, has It was already a womanist form. It's even more so was a womanist form during the 70s and 80s because of the AIDS crisis and its impact on queer men and people in general, but particularly on queer men who tended at that moment to have a heavy presence in modern dance. And so I, I just wanted to even re- really reiterate it for my own self is that I teach as a male body person, I teach in a womanist form. Women's energies, their, their patterns, their, their, gener- their generative spaces are inhabited in my body. Um, and it's important for also for me to name that, that in some ways I profit off of women's labor, right? It's make, to make that, make that plain and apparent. Even as a male professor in a women's and a women's studies department, as a male professor in a dance department, my primary the primary people I'm serving are women body people. And even in that moment, I'm thinking in the moment I'm standing in front of a class often of thirty women and one dude, I'm often thinking six in every ten of these women. I think the stats was six in every ten of these women is a survivor of sexual assault. So at least four of the women in this room, four and a half of the women in this room, even more have are the survivors of violence against their bodies as I'm trying to maintain a womanist form in their bodies as being transmitted and translated through a male's body. So like it's, it's quite, it all feels like quite sacred work um, and humbling work all at the same time. Um, well, maybe we'll just wrap it up at this point and I'll just say thank you so much for sharing so much of yourself such beautiful words, such interesting ways of talking about dance and religion and the body and sacred and queerness and talking about the pandemic that happened before this pandemic, talking about the AIDS pandemic. I think that's a really important thing to bring to the front, that this is not the first pandemic of the 20th century. Claire, thank you for having me. Um, thank you for um, thank you for this time we spent together. And I hope when I'm back at Yale, we can have another conversation and long extended coffee under different conditions once everyone's vaccinated and over a mask outside, you know, following CDC recommendations. I hope we can spend some time together before I return back to Iowa officially. Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much. And uh, we'll talk again soon. For more information on the ISM Fellows Program, please visit ism.yale.edu forward slash fellowships. Please join us again for more episodes of ISM Fellows in Conversation.